leadership, potentially a shapeless concept, government perceived as overwhelmingly large. Put the two together, government leadership, and you could distill it down to big and cold. Interested instead in a space where government leadership might be personal and warm? Maybe that would look like a one-on-one conversation with those we choose to speak for us in our own neighborhoods. We see them walking their dogs, shopping in our grocery stores, talking with neighbors in the coffee shop, cheering from the Little League sidelines, witnessing community tragedy, solving problems, and generating opportunities. Now let's get to know them and know what motivates them, what nourishes them, what inspires them. From Studio 67, I'm Ginger Delegal, and this is Pack and Chat, 670 seconds with Florida's local leaders. Welcome to Episode 5. With me in the studio today is Bill Truex, an elected county commissioner from Charlotte County, Florida. Welcome, Commissioner Truex, to the studio. Thank you, Jinder. It's great to be here. Fantastic. If you could just start today by telling our listeners and your fellow Floridians how you got to Florida. Well, I'll try to keep this short, but um, when I was 10 years old, I told my parents I was going to move to Florida because I absolutely loved it here. The climate, the scenery uh, was something that drove me. Didn't think I would get here when I did, but at the age of 28, just less than a year after getting married, my wife and I picked up and moved to Florida. Uh, It's been a ride, uh, starting a business, failing a couple times, and uh, it's been very enriching, I would say. Uh, But the people that we meet that come here, that, that have been born here um, have been great. And it's something that uh, I'm glad not everybody moves here, but I'm certainly glad we made that move almost 30 years now. So through your eyes, <laughs> describe Charlotte County. Wow, uh, Charlotte County. When I first went to Charlotte County, it was 1977. I was four, 14 years old. Um, we vacationed. That's how we spent Christmas. Family went went to Florida. Um, spent time together as opposed to buying gifts. And, uh, you know, it was a family bonding trip, typically. If you can imagine 17 hours in a car as a young kid. But um, Charlotte County was almost like home back where I came from, which was uh, Bloomington, Indiana, um, just outside of Bloomington. And we moved here from Indianapolis. But uh, it's got a rural appeal to it. You know, we've got farmlands. Uh, we've got beaches, which we didn't have back uh, back in Indiana, but we had some lakes. Uh, so that that aspect of it was something that was familiar to me. Uh, and the, the people that were here were very similar to the people that were uh, back home. Um, a lot of Midwesterners on the West Coast of Florida mixed in with some New York State people, some New York City, New Jersey, that that thing. But, you know, there's a, a thing about Midwesterners where we, we grow up a certain way. You know, our door, doors were left unlocked half the time. You know, you need something, you go by, stop by the neighbor's house. If they're not home, you go in and get it, leave them a note, you know, those types of things. So it felt very familiar to, to me. Um, and, and the Inglewood area particularly is an area that uh, I've, I've really, it's become my home. And people get upset with me back in Indiana when I put my hometown is, you know, down here in Inglewood, Florida, um, because they say, hey, wait a minute, your hometown is back here in Bloomington and Ellettsville, Indiana. And uh, I said, yeah, I guess it was, but that's where I was born. This is home. 
So it's a, it's a great place to be. Great. And I think road trips in particular are one of those ways to really get to know an, as a space, an area, whether it's this country or somewhere else. But just being able to pick up a spend a lot of that time with family all in the same vehicle and then just sort of going from place to place to place, I think also gives you a sense of of that place and a sense of the culture all along the way. I know it's something even with our own children that Mark and I have done a lot of. And even if that meant flying somewhere and then getting in to much to their chagrin, a minivan, but then spending days or you know seven to ten days on the road um, with the rule that this was always our family rule that we either had to stay in a mom and pop independently owned motel or we had to eat all three meals in an independently owned mom and pop you know cafe mm-hmm. coffee shop or restaurant. So it's. Um, it's a great way to get to know places. And I know our kids have incredibly fond memories and, and feel drawn to some of these places that they visited in the minivan with right. the entire family. Very good. I often call you all at the local level overachievers. And that is a, a term of endearment because you do so many things in every aspect of your life. And I know you have a life outside, a professional life outside of being a county commissioner. Could you share what you do outside of being a county commissioner with everyone? Certainly. Um, I, I'm in construction. Uh, I own a company that uh, I started this company in 2005 uh, after having partnerships that did not work out. Uh, this was a partnership I felt that would be a strong partnership. Uh, pre-planning and all that. So True Rex Preferred Construction is my my real livelihood. Um, and it's it's something that in 2008, as the downturn was starting to come on, by 2010, I had bought the company out. So it's just, it's owned by my wife and I now. Uh, she's not actively working in the company because she's a s- assistant chief nursing officer at a hospital. But uh, that is how I, I kind of spend my um, time away from politics. <laughs> That's uh, that keeps you very busy and uh, that keeps you a leader also in what I often referred to as your day job. Correct. So you've got lots of people reporting to you in lots of different places. So being in the construction industry and obviously, you know, being a part of the community in Charlotte County, what made you want to run for county commission? Well, it, it's interesting because I never thought that I would run, although my wife thought that that was in my blood. Uh uh, and I'll get to that story, but the, the, one of the things that happened is I was supportive of a young man that came into office, uh, tried to help him just kind of learn about things, how to present himself, and uh, it didn't work out real well. And so, and he had appointed me to the Board of Zoning Appeals, so I was already kind of the wheels were turning as a servant, you know, within the community in that in that avenue, and there 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 came the re-election time and people that were filing to run against this gentleman were, there was one that was really, really good, but she's now the head of the school board association up here. And that's uh, Andrew Messina. But um, the other two wanted a part-time job and uh, I don't look at it. It may be called a part-time job, but it's a 24 hour a day job. Wherever you are, you have to be on. And so when I, 
when I looked at who was running and I said, gee, I'm going to have to support this individual that is not a good character in our community, but he it's not his votes. It's how he he handled himself. So I, I tried and I went around town asking different people I knew that were involved in in politics and the finger kept getting pointed back at me. So in November of 2011, with the uh, August primary coming up very quickly, I went home to my wife and said, what do you think? And she said, I knew you'd going to run for something sometime. It might as well be now. Shortest big decision conversation we've ever had in our life. Uh, and so I haven't looked back. I've, I've had a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn, but I, I get a lot of energy out of helping and working and trying to make things better than, than they were when I got here. So why re-election? Uh, because it, it's funny, you know, you, you, four years you think is a long time and it takes two and a half to three to really get up to speed. Uh, you come into office, you raise your right hand, you take the oath, and a week later you're voting on millions and sometimes hundreds of millions of ex dollars worth of expenditures. So you have to dig in and it takes time. And so, you know, the first two, three years is m way more than a full-time job. It still is to this day, but I can remember working seven days a week, almost 12 hours a day, just in the Commission Avenue because I had so much to learn to try to get up to speed and serve the, the constituents well. Um, Re-election is something that I, I didn't even think about the first time, and I didn't think about it the second time. Um, and I think part of it is, is that right now, I've been very fortunate in being re-elected twice without opposition. And I think that uh, as long as I keep working my tail off and, and listening to people and trying to make good decisions with, with respect to those that differ, differ in, you know, what the results may be, um, I, I think that it's going to be a difficult challenge for somebody to want to step in the shoes when they may not be able to keep up. So it's, it's always trying to stay a little bit ahead of somebody, right? So you're carrying a lot on your shoulders. You've got a whole community on your shoulders. You've got a family on your shoulders. You've got a business on your shoulders and literally people's livelihoods, depending on you being the right leader and being, you know, making the right decisions at the right time for them. And that's a lot. And, you know, Charlotte County is a high growth county. Uh, generally classified as medium, but certainly starting to push upward in having multiple urbanized areas in the county and getting larger and larger by the day. And with that comes a diversity of your county residents, which sometimes can lead to criticism being thrown at you in a very public way because you are representing a community that does have that diversity of opinion. And you're not everyone's best friend anymore. <laughs> um, and that can get challenging also on top of just even all of the different jobs that you have to do. So with that criticism and at times being on, you know, the front page of the newspaper, um, with commission meetings being televised, you're in people's living rooms, we're coming into um, really almost a year of incredible unrest. There's a lot of fear with COVID um, on the part of citizens. So how do you do all of that? How do you, what sustains you in those raucous meetings? How do you keep going? How do you keep um, your eyes on the prize, so to speak, in terms of really trying to do the best for your community? What do you turn to? 
Um, faith, devotion, remembering what it feels like when you succeed. Those things are very important because I have to have faith, and I have to find my faith each and every day, and I do that through a daily devotional. Um, and I try to make certain that my mind is right when I go into a board meeting. Um, you know, for me, this is very serious stuff. And I know that, you know, that it probably sounds like, well, of course it is. But I take this as a level of seriousness beyond anything I've ever gotten involved in in my life. Because what we do today may be in existence for many, many years to come. Every time I sign a document as a chairman, I realize that's going into a record for history. Not something that I thought about when I was a kid. I mean, you know, that to me is a big deal. It's not the Constitution. It's not the Declaration of Independence, but it's still something that in a community people will find to be very important and it affects their lives. So it, it, it's the most important aspect of what we do when we affect our local community, whether it's positive or negative, it, it's a long lasting um, effect. So I look at that as a very heavy thing. And when I go into a ruckus meeting and we have the public, you know, that gets all excited and sometimes they're calling us names and what have you, you know, I just try to look at them and stay very calm and then thank them for their, their words. Um, and we have seen more recently, and I actually commented to this gentleman who comes to our meetings and he does a lot of you people stuff to us. And we, we listen and he makes some good points. It's just kind of how he delivers. And one day he comes before the meeting and he says, gets up and he speaks and he thanks the, the, the commissioners for the, um, allowing the opportunity to speak. And he goes into what he wants to say. And, and I got out of, that, out of that meeting and I went up to him and his girlfriend. I said, can I talk to you guys for a second? Yeah. And, and you know, she was standing a little bit away, came over really quickly. And I said, I just want to thank you. He looked at me kind of strange. I said, no, I want to thank you because you're changing your tone. I've noticed it over the last couple of meetings today significantly. And what I'll tell you is the ears on the dais and the ears in the public listen a lot better. And I said, you can say the same thing. You have the right to say whatever you want and how you want. But I just I wanted to compliment that individual because they are engaged. I encourage engagement. And if you if you put them down by, you know, acknowledging the fact that they're angry and, and they, you know, may be not very respectful, then you're bringing yourself down to a level instead of bringing them up. And so those are the things that I try to focus on is don't get caught up in the how they're saying it. Listen to what they're saying. And that goes back to 18 years of umpiring. I always tried to remember when a coach comes out and wants to argue, slow them down by asking them what they what they saw or what they have. And they stop and think, and then you listen to what they say, not how they're saying it. So I think that's very important, uh, particularly in governance. So I, if we could all only have that experience as an umpire, I think it is amazing what we could probably do in the, you know, in the public forum in terms of producing civil conversation. That's yeah. amazing training. Would love to do that. Myself. That's great training, I think, for exactly what you all do every day. So down to the the micro level, are there are there things that you have in your wallet that you might have on the underside of the driver's visor in your car? Is there a photo? Is there a quote? Is there a book or something that you carry with you everywhere? 
you go. A tattoo, even, if you want to share. <laughs> I, I do have a tattoo. I got it a few years ago, and it says whatever it takes. Uh, so in 2000, uh, I believe it was 2017 is when I, when I got that. And um, it was in preparation for coming in as president of the Florida Home Builders Association because I knew that I had to do whatever it took to be the right leader at the right time. And it was a, a play on a song from Imagine Dragons. And uh, that, that kind of set me up. And it's something that I want to remember and live by. It's the only tattoo I have. Um, and it does have meaning. But the other thing that I carry with me is actually – and I hate to say it, folks, but it's my phone. And there are things in here that I've written. Um, there's prayers in here that have been written that I've read at meetings, that so on and so forth. So there, there are things in here as well as leadership messages that I capture. Um, I, you know, I do carry a daily devotional book with me in my backpack. There's those types of things. But there are times, and, you know, you and I were speaking about this yesterday, about where I have to shut down and I have to do a reset. So I'll do a meditation for three to five minutes to get myself back in the right place. Um, Tuesday before our board meeting, I did the same thing. And, uh, you know, it's just bringing myself back, reminding myself what my conscious intentions are supposed to be. And so if I do that, I try to start my day every morning like that. What am I supposed to be today? And it doesn't change as far as the leadership side of me, but it changes based upon every uh, job or opportunity that comes before me. What am I supposed to be today? I'm going to be an owner of a company. Um, I'm going to be an advocator for, you know, um, immigration reform, uh, which is something I've been involved in for three years. I'm going to advocate for the stopping of human trafficking. Uh, those are things that are passionate to me. And when I look at some of these ancillary things I get involved in, there's some of the passion that drives me to make certain that I stay right and stay focused each and every day. And I'm not telling you folks I'm perfect because I'm far from it. <laughs> the Lord knows that. But it's something that it, I, if I come into the day with conscious intention and I reset when I need to, it will help me end the day feeling very good. That's great. So, Last question for you, and then we will wrap up. But having all of those things now in your sort of figurative backpack that you carry with you, when did those come to be a part of your daily routine, if you mm. will? Interesting. I have done this on and off for years. Um you know, it started out in the days before technology where I would have a day planner and I would have notes in that day planner and I'd have every, everything color coded. So business had a color code. Um, activities outside of business had a color code. Associations I would involve with everything had a color code that helped guide me through the day. But in that was also notes and things that I would kind of journal a little bit to, to, to do some of these things. It, it really began after I was elected that I found it extremely necessary to get more organized mentally. Now, you can look at a desk of mine, and it's probably not as organized as, as it should be. But mentally, I have to come into the day organized and, and set. And so really, over the last three years, I found I was in a lot of stress. And it's funny because you'd, say, you'd think at being a builder— during the downturn, I was under a lot of stress, but I wasn't seeing it. I was just going forward. My head was focused on where we had to go and, and how we had to get there. I had to maintain uh, as many jobs as I could, and I had to make sure that we had a business on the other side 
Okay. So what I started to see after that is all this stress coming into my life. And it's because I wasn't organized mentally and I started to kind of lose my way, which got me back into daily devotional, got me back into leadership messages, reading good books, you know, by people like Tony Dungy, as we spoke about, um, just different things to make certain that I was focused on the positive, because if you go home and you turn on the news, you get all the negative. And so um, I, I read what I can handle. Quite frankly, I listen to some, but I can't really watch a lot of news anymore on a national level. I watch local news because it's a stressor that I don't need and I can't I can't affect change there at that moment in time. So I don't need to bring that into my life before I try to go to sleep at night and rest, you know? Well, you're making me feel a little bit better with that one because I've become a Weather Channel nerd because I can't watch the national news anymore myself. So my morning news is now the Weather Channel because I feel like I get enough snippets of what's going on. And then actually later in my life, so now I read way more news than I have ever done before. Um, and I find that that allows me to to take in what I need to take in with, without being overwhelmed by the negativity of it. And so I'd like to go out just on this note and say thank you for sharing all of these things that do nourish and sustain you um, and help to hold you up as a leader. And I say that because you actually said something that I wrote down that I think is a significant life lesson for all of us. And it is that, yes, absolutely, we learn incredibly important life-changing lessons when we lose or when we fail, but we also have to learn how to win. And so I think the things that you have shared with us today put people and share lessons about how to win. And that's something that is just as important as the life lessons from losing. It is, it is. And I will tell you that in throughout life and it started in college, I was always worried about what if I'm successful here? What, what happens, you know? So I, I appreciate that point. Absolutely. Thank you, Commissioner 2X. Thank you for having me.